least one, maybe two. He has written articles in uh, the areas of Old, Old Testament and Jewish studies. Williams' ministry is focused primarily on renewing and building Bible colleges across Canada, right from Quebec all the way uh, to Alberta, I don't know, BC as well? Not quite, okay. He's, he's getting there. Um, and along the way has done you know, preaching and teaching uh, in churches and conferences. Most interesting to me, however, is that he was born in an Orthodox Jewish home in Tunisia, North Africa, that he grew up in Paris and became a believer in Jesus while he was in Israel. He's married to Judy for 37 years. He has two grown children. And I'd like you to help me welcome William. Thank you very much, Michael, for the introduction. Every time I hear myself introduced, I feel I should, you know, either get the raise or, you know, apply for a job or something. I don't know. But uh, I sound quite impressive. Thank you so much. I mean, <laughs> you know, we'll sign aut- uh, autographs another time, I guess. But that's, that's great. Um, you already discovered I speak funny, and that's okay. I'm used to my wife sometimes is correcting me. My kids are correcting me, you know, and that's okay. They're, they're used to me. And if you are not, uh, you know, understanding something, let's do something. Let's do an exercise, you know, and we can exercise in church, you know. So if you don't understand something, you, you can, you know, wave, you know, raise your, your arm or something, you know, and say, hey, I don't understand. And I may repeat myself, maybe, if I can acknowledge you. Or if not, you can nudge your neighbor and maybe they'll translate. Or, or if not, you know, you know what, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, I mean, you're going to have to bear with me and... Try to understand French or some of the other languages I have accumulated over the years. And, you know, we'll have a great time. <laughs> I will have a great time, at least. <laughs> but uh, as uh, you could see, I'm, uh, I, I am, you know, a true African. I was born in North Africa, so I'm a true African. But I am what is known as a white African from North Africa. And... Uh, it is always fascinating to see you know, people's reaction when, you, when I tell them I am African. Well, I am African. What I can do with that? You know, I mean, that's who I am, right? And it is still very fascinating to me. I'm still fiddling around with papers here, whatever else. They're going to fly all over the place. And that's okay. I've got it on a little computer, whatever else. We'll be able to, to find our way somehow. And... Um, through my, my years of, you know, having known the Lord, I've had the great privilege of serving Him in many, many different places, and always in the context of Bible colleges. You know, I pride myself to have been a pastor for, you know, a grand total of 14 months. Not because He didn't want me, but, <laughs> but, but because my calling is more into the, you know, the area of, you know, training, you know, leaders for the work of the ministry. And I'm very grateful for that great opportunity. Great opportunity to, to serve the Lord, great opportunity to invest in young adults and older adults who want to discover what the Lord has for them. And they want to apply it, and they want to actualize it. And you know when you've got you know something which is driving you, and you know it's the right stuff, 
And then, you know, it is within your bones, you know, and it has to come out. Somehow you have to actualize it. And to me, he's seeing student, you know, knowing more of the word of God, knowing more of, and understanding more of the theology which accompanies the word of God. But very importantly for me is how to apply the word of God, how to translate it into ministry. And nothing delights me more than to see students mature, you know, as they go through the process of learning and, you know, and uh, discipling and, and very much, you know, developing as young adults, as mature adults, as people who are truly discovering the Word of God and what God wants for, for their own lives, you know, and being a participant alongside with them, helping them discover what God has in store for them. I tell you, it is, it's like giving birth all the time. It is like, uh, you know, investing in your own children over and over again and seeing them mature and growing up and actualizing their own giftings, you know. And so I'm the father of many children now throughout Canada or whatever else. And since the Lord has seen fit to take me literally around the world, you know, in many, many different seminaries and uh, in graduate school, Bible colleges, and, you know, interacting with people who have the exact same desire. You know, to, to train themselves for the work of the ministry. I consider myself one of the most privileged persons on this earth to have been granted, you know, this, all those opportunities to interact and train students, you know, and continue on doing so. You know, and sometimes I, uh, you know, I, when I have to renew my passport, they have to adapt some, some pages sometimes because of all the travels or whatever else. But it's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. And Bible college training, you know, it's different than pastoring. It's not better. It's just different. You know, and, but the satisfaction I have gotten over the years has been just incredible. We've read from the Word of God. And uh, before I start, why don't we pray and then we'll go into that. Gracious Lord, again, thank you for, for this day which you have granted us. Thank you for the opportunities we've got to open your word and to expand on it, Lord. We pray, Lord, that at this time, we not simply will hear from your word, but that it will touch our hearts, it will touch our souls, O oh Lord. That we may be not simply hearing and understanding words, but will be transformed by this word. In your precious name, Lord, we pray. Amen. I will date myself a little bit here, but in the early 70s, Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel, you know, wrote a great tune, which made the number one charts around the world, literally. You know, and the title of the song was The Sound of Silence. And uh, kind of a contradiction in terms, paradox, if you will. But very powerful as it was dealing with the Watergate scandal, right? And how corruption and illegal taping of conversations had been taking place, but nobody was saying anything. The sound of silence. You know, the words are available. You can just, you know, Google them or whatever else. And, and if you know the background story, you can really discover that through the power of poetry, if you will, and music, they were able to, to unveil and bring forward the concern of the whole nation as the president was caught, right? 
his hand in the tear, so to speak, keeping quiet about certain things. In business, and in when we do board meetings or other types of meetings, we we also have another saying which says, "Who doesn't say a word, assent." Right? If you don't if you don't speak, that means you are in agreement. You know that, right? And you have heard probably a, you know, some kind of of saying more or less in the same vein, where if you don't say anything, you are in agreement. In the scripture portion which was read uh, for us from Matthew chapter uh, 1, verse 18 to verse uh, 25, we have a great story of quietness, of silence, if you will. And as we, uh, we read there, you know, in verse uh, 24, And Joseph awoke from his dream, from his sleep, and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. And so Joseph did exactly as the angel of the Lord commanded him. It's always good when we are able to follow the dictates of the Lord, evidently. But we know this story much more because it relates to Christmas, right? And when I was asked to be preaching on today's passage, I was quite taken aback because, quite frankly, I didn't know what to do with it. You know, we are not in December. It's not the Christmas season or whatever else. And... um, I had to pause and you know, realize that, okay, you know, this is a church which is, takes very seriously you know, the reading and expounding of the Word of God, you know, and they have gone on a journey of you know, systematically progressing through Scripture and so on. So, number one, I need to respect their, their wish and desires, that's number one, but there must, there must be a logic in here. And then the logic came very, very quickly, and you know, I think justification came very quickly to me in that, you know, if we believe scholars or whatever else, well, Jesus was not born in December, but probably in March anyway. So I'm right on time for the Christmas story, right? So thank you very much, you guys, for keeping Christmas alive in my heart. You know, I tried to say that to my wife, that I deserve some more presents, but she didn't bite, you know. So I'm stuck, I'm stuck, but still. But we, we make a great deal. Uh, no, about Christmas, don't we? I mean, we have survived somehow another Christmas, another Christmas season with all the lights and all the shopping and all, you know, the harassment, really, of what we ought to, to get and not get or whatever else. And quite frankly, the hustle and bustle of Christmas is not new, right? It has always been so since the birth of Jesus was first celebrated as an international festival 1,600 years ago, when it was declared to be the birth of Jesus, the 25th of of December, you know, uh, during the third council of the church, the council of Ephesus in 416 of, of our era. But this may not be so surprising to us, since everybody lacks a good excuse for a party, for, for festivity, especially if the church sanctions it, right? I mean, if the church tells you that it's a good time for you to, to do something, 
my goodness gracious, you've got liberty now, right? And we can find all kinds of excuses to hide behind that freedom we, we have just acquired because it, we are celebrating the birth of Christ. However, it is a surprise from one point of view. Okay? See, we, we celebrate Christmas and we hear the Christmas story and lots of sermons and we have the pageantry and we've got the, uh, you know, the kids are doing their, their little programs and everything else and we proud parents take all the pictures we can and everything else. But on the other hand, we know so, so little about Jesus' birth. We know so little about his entire life, in fact. See, John's Gospel tells us the story of his life for only the first and last weeks of his ministry. Perhaps little more than the brief note about the week of his baptism and the last week of his life. So John is not really helpful to tell us much about Jesus. Mark, on the other hand, tells us only of the last year of Jesus' life. Thank you very much, Mark. We don't know too much, right? And then we've got two more Gospels. You know, the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Luke. And they give us a longer narrative, but they have only half a chapter each on his birth. A brief mention of him at age 12, and the rest of their story is about the last two or three years of his life. So, in, in essence, we don't know much about the birth narrative. We don't know much about Jesus himself, which is rather strange, really. Right? We all have read the entire biblical record of his first 30 years. Or on, in fact, if you were to concentrate only you know, on a portion of his life described for us before, you know, he is, he is age 30 or so, it really takes only a few minutes to do so. That's it. We are deprived, we are missing something, and we all know it, right? We know quite a bit, though, about Jesus' character. Uh, because it is manifested in the way he related to people at the end of his life. We know a lot about the theological meaning of his life and of his death. I mean, even if you don't know it, you have access to so many commentaries and books which have been written about Jesus and, what, and who he was and what he meant to the people and what he means to us or ought to mean to us. Right? We know so much about his life and resurrection and the message you know, which they represent. But we know virtually nothing about him historically, or about the other characters in a Christmas story. Did you ever wonder that, about that? I mean, who are those shepherds? Where they come from? What are they doing? Right? What about Mary herself? Nothing is said, I mean, not much is said about her, per se. Right? What about the innkeeper? What about the magis? Right? Who are they? Where they come from? Oh, we've heard theories, but we don't really know. How many of them were they, by the way? We don't know. We assume three because they brought three gifts, right? 
But that's it. We don't know how many wise men were there. The main character about which we know perhaps the very least is Joseph himself. See, Joseph seems to be a very active agent throughout the Christmas story. But he is absolutely silent the whole time. You don't hear one single word from Joseph without the old Christmas story. See, he never speaks. And no other character speaks to him except the two sentences pronounced by the angel. He's quiet. This power in quietness. This power in silence. See, Joseph had an enormous import for this story. The one which really sets us on the journey of discovering Jesus. See, jo- Joseph did, did the worrying when he found Mary illegitimately pregnant. He buckled up somehow, grinned his teeth, you know, and he, he swallowed the shame. And after the short crisis counseling session by the angel, carried on with protecting Mary's person from stoning and her reputation from shame. Joseph did the planning for paying the taxes when the census was required by Caesar Augustus. And he took care of things for the trip to Bethlehem, probably finding the donkey, loading the donkey. I don't know what else he did. And fortunately, he did not do well on advanced reservation in that tourist town called Bethlehem. Uh, well, you know how things are, right? When you arrive at the Holiday Inn at the Marriott Hotel after 6 p.m. and you forgot your credit card. You know, I, I think we all have been there. If not, I don't wish it on for you. See, we find that he's the one who rented a house in Bethlehem for at least, you know, a couple of years until this, those wise guys, you know, those wise men who came from the east showed up. Joseph is the one who organized the trip to Egypt to get away from Herod's murderous minions. And he financed the family for at least another couple years in Egypt until Herod died. And he apparently was able to support them in Egypt uh, with his skill as a carpenter. And maybe from the wise man's gifts, although these were really intended for Jesus himself. If you go to Alexandria, Egypt today, you will find, you know, a little inscription on a side street which claims this is where, you know, Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus used to be, right? You find that even way down to Carol, another street, which claims the same thing. It's always fascinating to see those holy sites, right? Where everybody is claiming something. But the story would not have worked, would not be complete, and could only have become the drama that it did without this main character, this Joseph, who never says a word. However, it seems apparent that Joseph had enormous influence on the shaping 
of his adopted child. See, instead of calling uh, my sermon Christmas character Joseph, I might have entitled it Jesus and how he got that way. Perhaps a lot can be learned here with quality parenting. Maybe I'm addressing myself to fathers here. Maybe a good sermon on fa- for Father's Day. So I'm way ahead of the game, you guys. Right? But while the Bible tells us virtually nothing about Jesus' childhood development and adult life before he was 30 years old, it gives us four clues that, make, uh, that makes all the difference in the world. And the first clue we find in Scripture is that the Bible tells us that he was born an illegitimate child. So much. I mean, who would you, I mean, how would you like someone to, you know, kind of display your whole life in a book for the whole world to read? It's what happened, right? The whole world knows that Jesus was an illegitimate child. Uh, that was what his community considered him to be. See, in, in the Aramaic of the day, he was called the mamzer. Uh, sorry for the word, but he was called the bastard. That's what he was. And he, he was considered, although he had nothing to do with it, he was considered a sinner, an outcast. Nobody wanted anything to do with him. Second, at age 12, he proved to be unusually bright. He was independent, he was spiritually and intellectually you know, preoccupied, focused upon on God as his father and not on Joseph as his earthly father. In fact, when his parents noticed that they had lost him and then they found him in a temple discussing scripture with the elders, it is his mother, not Joseph, who scolds him like any good Jewish mother. You made as anxious, scripture reports. Right, And it is very interesting that Joseph does not speak on this occasion either. And the Bible says, Mary, not Joseph, Mary pondered these things in her heart, mystified by what Jesus was up to and by his remark. Remember Jesus' remark? Do you not know that I must be about my father's business? See, Joseph does not seem to have a kind of trouble understanding Jesus' spiritual preoccupation and independent style. Somehow he accepts it. It was the same as Joseph's own focus and style. Jesus was a reflection of Joseph, his earthly father. Third thing which we notice uh, mainly from Luke's gospel is that Jesus grew up after that in more wisdom and spiritual prowess and in great esteem in his community. I mean, somehow people could turn to him and he he was able to, to really surprise them with his wisdom for such a young guy. Okay, with... Uh, you know, with this understanding of scripture. 
And somehow the community respected him. And remember, this is, you know, first century Galilee, whereby, you know, Jewish young men didn't have a right to be heard by the elders of the community unless they were married. Fourth, as a result of all of that, he undertook at about age 30 to give his life for you, for me, and for the rest of the world. The epistle to the Hebrews declared that he learned obedience through suffering. And thus it became possible for him to become our Savior. Recently, and appropriately, I saw the movie The Nativity. And quite frankly, you know, it is one of the few movies I would recommend for people to go and see. And it is a rather accurate visualization of the historical story of the birth of Christ, the the birth narrative, if you will. And in the light of what I have said so far, one line in this old movie is worth the old movie. And sometimes this is a redeeming part of a movie, right? One line or one picture or one scene. But in that movie, there is one line which stands out and makes a lot of sense. And that one line is, Joseph looked to the need of others before himself. That cryptic statement is the only way to describe accurately the silent but significant saint in a Christmas story. See, Joseph lived his life for others. For God, for Mary, for Jesus, for his own children, and for his own community. When at the outset of his ministry, Jesus preached with impressive theological wisdom in a synagogue in Nazareth, everyone was surprised by his erudition and spiritual maturity. It was easy for the crowd to recognize who he was. And who do they say he is? They said knowingly, this is Joseph's son. Now, we know what it means that Jesus was able to debate theology with the best scholars at age 12. We know that he continued thereafter to increase in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. And we know that in the end, as Paul says, he gave his life as a ransom for many. We know that. And make a lot of fuss about it, right? But for the people among whom he grew up and among whom he lived, he was Joseph's son. He was the son of the carpenter down the street. Just as his adoptive father Joseph, he was busy about his heavenly father's business. Same thing. He was looking out for the need of all, and all need, before himself. See, Christmas is not only about the baby in a manger. It is that, sure, it is that. But it is not only about that. That is really only the anchor in a story about what became of Jesus. 
So let us take the long view of Christmas. And notice what good, godly, though silent, fathering did to save the world. Think on Joseph. See, Joseph looked to the needs of others before himself. And the people said, Jesus is a son of Joseph. He gave his life as a ransom for us all. And you know what? When he was on the cross, he kept quiet. He uttered not a word. He gave his life so that we might really deeply, truly live. Not make a lot of noise about him, although we need to proclaim him and his message, but so that we can truly live. So as we reflect on Jesus' coming and the nativity story, let us also reflect on Jesus' earthly father, Joseph. Let us reflect on Joseph, the silent yet very important character in the nativity story. Someone whom we rarely speak about, except maybe in derision, thinking that, you know, he's just a quiet one saying nothing. I'd like to suggest to us that as his earthly father, Jesus kept the example which was given to him. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, thank you once again for your word. For allowing us to unveil a small little corner of who you are and how on this earth not only you came, but you came in a ways to imitate the great example that was Joseph. Lord, we recognize the wisdom which you earned from your godly father. We recognize the powers which you had from your earthly father and from the Holy Spirit. But we also know that without an incredible earthly father, Joseph, you would never have achieved and gained the standing and the stature which you did. So Lord, help us be reminded that it is not so much the quantity and quality of our words that count, but very much what we don't say sometimes, how we act, how we present ourselves, reflecting you, and reflecting ourselves. So Lord, be with us and help us becoming true reflection of who you are in our lives. In your precious name, Lord, we pray. Amen.